It was September 15, 2017, and uh, I was asked to uh, speak at a university in Southern California and to, uh, to address the college coaches there, the athletic department, and I was excited. I, I felt like I was back home and kind of in a very familiar setting. It was athletics or coaches, and it was in a university setting. Most of my professional career has been in the universities and colleges, so it was exciting. It was very familiar. It was very comfortable. But during this time, my heart, okay, it was just, there was a lot going on in my own heart. I mean, I just started on the staff. I was a month, a, year, a month and a half onto this pastoral staff here at Evergreen and just beginning to adjust. I mean, just beginning to adjust as a pastor, beginning to adjust uh, with our family living in Southern California, moving down from Washington, adjusting with developing new relationships. You know, I was insecure. There's a lot of things going on in my heart. Taking on new challenges, learning how to preach, right? Learning how to preach on a regular basis. You know, developing our culture and our team on the pastoral staff. Had to discern, are we going to continue to do a giving campaign, you know, when I take over as senior pastor? Going through various challenging uh, counseling situations. So, I mean, I was getting crushed. I, I was, my heart was like, man, what's going on here? I'm not ready for all this. I am not ready for all this. And so it was a very humbling time. And so as I, as I stepped into an arena where I felt very comfortable talking to a bunch of coaches at a university, we had a chapel service at the university that I was at. And the preacher preached on John 21. John 21, I was like, all right. I was just getting my thoughts in order. This, this will help. And, but the Lord provided exactly what I needed. I mean, exactly. What I heard preached out of John 21 gave me encouragement, empowered me, gave me clarity what this whole thing is about. And to be honest with you, what I said earlier, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, clearly. And I was, just, I was like, I couldn't almost wait. Like, maybe I should just preach this when I get back to Evergreen, Right. But we were already in John, so I was like, all right, well, and I think we were in John chapter 3 at the time, so I was like, wow, we got, we got a ways to go before we get there, and, which is a good thing because I've been, I've been able to experience over the last three years some ups and downs, and I think the Lord's allowed me to understand John 21 at a more deeper level, and hopefully, hopefully I've been able to understand the power of John 21, and hopefully after today's sermon we could all uh, be clearer about what who our Lord is through John 21. So let's rise. I'm just going to read. Uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. And uh, if you're able to, please rise. We'll be out of John 21. But I'm going to back up a few verses and just read John 20, verse 30 and 31 to give some context. And we're going to cover the whole chapter today. Okay, this is John 20, 30 to 31. We're backing up just a little bit, just to provide a little bit of context for this great chapter of John 21. John 20, verse 30. I'll be reading out of the NASB. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word out of John 21. Illuminate our hearts to see your son more clearly. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
Verse 1 of John 21 says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. What happened? What are these things that John's talking about? Well, just remember, the high point of John was just took place. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appears in the upper room. He shows himself to the disciples. They believe. Jesus comes again another, a week later and shows himself to Thomas, or doubting Thomas, and Thomas makes this incredible confession of faith. My Lord and my God, Jesus is called by Thomas. I mean, this is the high point of John, so that you will believe. If you believe in Christ, you will have eternal life. In some ways, this would be a more fitting ending to John. Like, why didn't, why didn't John just stop right there? Why did he just end up on a high note? Right? Why did he just end up on a high note? It's kind of like going to Mount Hermon or a camp and coming down from Mount uh, Retreat Experience, right? It's like, this is it. This is it. We don't need to talk any more than this, right, John? No, but we come crashing down here. We come crashing down to the realities of Christian life. There's a lot of ups and downs in our Christian life. Amen? This is, this is, this is life. It's not always at that mountaintop experience. So John brings us back down to help us be faithful. And the scene shifts from basically the upper room to Galilee, which is northern Israel. And Jesus has his eyes fixed on one disciple. His name is Peter. Peter. And the Sea of Tiberias is also known as the Sea of Galilee or Sea of Gennesaret. And in 2018, in our Israeli trip, Israel trip that I took, this is day one. This is our first stop. We went to the Sea of Galilee, and none other than where the historians and scholars believe where Peter was restored. This is my favorite stop. I was thinking when I, when I was flying there, maybe Jerusalem would be my favorite place. No, no, the Sea of Galilee was my favorite place. And here's a picture uh, of, of the Sea of Galilee, just a lake. You know, they call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake. Why I loved it so much is this. It was preserved, perhaps, to what it looked like 2,000 years ago. There aren't many buildings, very country still. You can see the bowl, the mountains, the hills that surrounded the, the lake. I could almost picture what it was like when Peter was going to be restored by Jesus. The Sea of Galilee was a, a picture of what the Gospels were describing, and it just illuminated my mind even more about what John 21 must have looked like. And this next picture, this is Pastor Joe Yoshihara. This is my pastor from Bellevue, Washington, and he, he led our trip, and there, there I am wearing my SC hat, and we're reading, he's praying, and I'm reading John 21 as I'm sitting on a rock, perhaps the same place where Peter encountered the Lord, right? And our tour guide, he, he's a great preacher. He was preaching on John 21, and we're just listening. We got these earpieces, I'm just sitting there hearing the sounds of the water coming in. I have my feet in the water. I could feel the rocks. Pastor Joe's just there praying, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. And this is where the resurrected Christ shows up again for the disciples. And what's the situation? Peter's disobedient. Peter is being disobedient. Verse 2 says this, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, which means a twin, and Nathaniel of Cana in, the, in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples were together. 
So who is this group? These are all disciples. This is the Galilean group of disciples. These are perhaps the fishermen group of the disciples. We know Peter, James, and John were fishermen by trade, and perhaps these are all the fishermen gathered together. And in verse 3 here, what happens here? Why was Peter in, dis in disobedience? Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. All right? And what did they say? They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. When Peter says, I am going fishing, what is he talking about? Or is he talking about doing some recreational fishing like we did this past weekend? My family and I went to Big Bear, and we, a, we dusted off the old rod and reel that was in the garage for a couple years, and we threw out a couple lines into the lake at Big Bear. Is that, is that, is that what Peter and the disciples are doing? I don't think so. Peter and the disciples were, went back into commercial fishing. Why do, why do I think this? Well, verse 3, it says that they went into the boat, not a boat. They went to the boat. Definite article, distinguishing as well. Perhaps this is Peter's old fishing boat. This was a fishing boat, commercial fishing boat. Verse 3 and 4 says that they fished at night, in the dark of night, for hours, probably from midnight to the break of dawn. This is not recreational fishing. All right. Verse 6 is that they use these industrial nets. They didn't use a rod and reel to catch a few bites, get a few nibbles. These are nets. This is serious business. This is, this is, well, this is what the pros do here. In verse 7, it says Peter was stripped for work. He was dressed in his loincloth, trying to get down to business. All right. this, this is a real fishing trip. Back into fishing world here. Now, we have to understand what's going on with Peter right now. Why did Peter go back into fishing? Right? This is important that we understand what's going on in his heart and mind. Just like I was trying to give you a picture of what's going on, what was going on in my heart, Peter was still reeling from his failures. I mean, he boastfully said, I will never deny you, Jesus. Never. All these other guys may deny you. I will never deny you. And Jesus graciously says, no, actually, you're going to deny me before, before the rooster crows three times. And that was the climax of Peter's failings. He denied him three times. One, two, three, before the rooster crowed. And Peter's confidence was absolutely shot. Boom, shattered. If Peter was a confident man, he, this is a broken Peter right now. Peter is questioning himself. Peter is, has a lot of unresolved issues as they go to Galilee, and, which left him really ineffective. Peter was ineffective, and Peter was disobedient. Whenever we have these unresolved issues in our hearts, it's going to hold us back from serving the Lord effectively. Matthew 28, 16 says that there was a mountain designated by the Lord for them to go to. They were in Galilee, but were they in the mountains? Uh-uh. They were below at the lake. They're, they weren't being obedient. And Peter went back to what he knew. You know, he, he might have been thinking, I may not be cut, off for, to, cut out to be an apostle, 
but I know how to fish. I know how to get this done. I may be a, a, a failure at being an apostle, but I know how to catch a lot of fish. My family's been doing this for years. I have the rig still. I have the boat still. I have my tools still. I have the know-how still. I know how to do this. I'm going to go back to what I know. And in verse 3, the disciples follow him. We will also come with you, they said. Which clearly shows that Peter is the leader of the, uh, of the disciples. Next to Jesus, they followed Peter. And they followed him right out of their calling right back into their fishing business. Now, our Lord knows what's going on, and he shows up, right? Our Lord is good. He, he starts to, just like a master fisherman, he's reeling Peter in slowly here, all right? And then at the end of verse 3, it says, they caught nothing. They, they fished the whole night. They caught nothing. This is frustrating. And Jesus shows up on the, on the shore, it says in verse 4, and he stood on the beach, right? And they didn't recognize him right away. And then in verse 5, this is what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, children, all right? You, you do not have any fish, do you? <laughs> now, this is frustrating for anybody. I mean, even for us, we went to go fish just for fun. We didn't catch anything for hours. That's kind of hard. It's hot. We weren't in the middle of the night. And even for just recreational fishing, we don't catch anything. That's fr frustrating. Let alone professionals, let alone in the middle of the night, let alone uh, working in the ways and thinking you're going to catch something and looking for a new, kind of a new direction in life. And this is what the, the disciples answered. They answered him, no. <laughs> and then, so Jesus says to them, verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. What? Who is this person from the shore calling to us and telling us to put it on the right side of the boat? What, that, what difference does that make? But because of Jesus' authoritative word, they listen. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. This is a miracle. Massive, hundreds, hundreds of fish are caught. The net isn't broken. And these disciples must have been thinking, who is this man? We know what to do. Who is this man? And Jesus is slowly drawing Peter back in. Right? He's drawing him back in to the fold. And this must have been deja vu for Peter. Deja vu, that just means like, it feels like I've been here before, right? Because when, in Luke chapter 5, when Peter was initially called, this is exactly what happened. He, they worked. They caught nothing. Jesus says to let out the net. And sure enough, they catch this huge uh, catch of fish, but their nets were bursting back then. Peter must have been thinking, wow, I've been here before. What's going on here? This is a little different. His mind must have been drawn back to that day when Jesus initially called him into the ministry. Back then in Luke chapter 5, you know, he must have been thinking, on our own, we didn't catch anything. We're out on our own this time. We caught nothing. And when we listened to Jesus back then, we caught a bunch of fish, more than we ever caught. Today, we listen to this man, and we catch this huge catch all of a sudden. Back then in Luke chapter 5, when, when Peter realized this is no ordinary man he was dealing with, he, he just says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter knew, like, okay, I'm dealing with somebody different. All that must have been going through Peter's mind and heart right in that moment, right here in John 21. Jesus graciously takes him back to that day. 
How can you forget something like that? And what comes into Peter's mind must be, I can't go back into fishing. I forgot. Jesus controls all the fish. I'm not going to catch anything, right? It's like, I can't go back into fishing. And what came to my mind as, as I was sitting there in that chapel service, as the preacher was preaching, I just had this memory of people just telling me, just, you know what? Why don't you just coach for another 10 more years? All right, then your family will be set, your college, all that college stuff that you need to worry about for your kids, it'll be all set. And, right? You could, you could do this the pre, preaching thing, the pastoral thing afterwards. Why don't you just get secured first, right? Made sense, right? It's like it's been going pretty good for the last 18 years. Like, why not? Let's just keep this rolling a little bit more. But similar to this now, if, if the, the equivalent of in coaching is winning games or catching fish, this is like it came to my mind as I was just sitting to listen to this pastor. God is the one that's allowed us to win all this time. Fishing's a tough business. So is coaching football at that level. You know, you got to win. You, gotta, you have to win. And you have to win big in order to stay at certain places for a while. And it just hit me right there, like, man, that's, been, that's very presumptuous to think, like, yeah, I'll just stay here for another 10 years, do this and do that. Now, that's very presumptuous. The only reason any of us have any success in anything is because God allows it to happen. Period. We should never forget that. That kind of comforted me. You know what? This is good. Although I'm kind of like, well, I'm not really ready for what I'm doing right now. You know what? That's the time. When God says to go, it's time to go. And in verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Look at impulsive Peter. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments on, for he was stripped for work, the Bible says, and threw himself into the sea. He started swimming to Jesus. Classic Peter. Peter is the spur-of-the-moment guy, right? He, he will act. He's a man of action, clearly. And then this, the other disciples come into the boat and, and meet Jesus and Peter at the shore. Right here, Jesus has Peter literally closer now, but also figuratively closer, and he's drawing him in. And Jesus is zeroing in now. I'm coming after you, Peter. I'm coming after you. And instead, now, Peter, I don't know what was going through Peter's mind because Peter's confidence is pretty shaken. It's not like he could come to Jesus and say, here I am, Lord. I've been faithful. Lord, here I am. He couldn't even be faithful in that moment to meet, meet him at the mountaintop where he was supposed to be. Instead of Jesus having whips, he has breakfast ready for the disciples. Isn't that just like our Lord? Verse 9 says, Jesus was preparing breakfast, they had a charcoal fire going on. This is all very eyewitness account by John. Charcoal fire, you could hear probably the wood crackling. You know, right there right on the rocky shore, if, 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 if the shoreline was exactly the same back then. Bible said he had some fish and some bread there cooking on that charcoal fire. And he tells the disciples, bring some of the fish that you caught. You know, this is classic Jesus. Jesus always oftentimes allows his disciples to be involved. Just a side note here, and then the Bible says here that in verse 11, John records 153 fish that he caught. Now, this is just simply saying that this is just a matter of fact. This is an eyewitness account by John. This actually happened. This moment actually happened. 
But I just think to this time, as they're sitting there, the disciples, and there's Jesus, and he's taking care of them, deep inside, their hearts must have sunk, like, we're not supposed to be here right now. Not only did we abandon him, he gives a second chance in the upper room. We're supposed to be up there in the mountain. Instead, we followed Peter. This must have been an awkward breakfast. Verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. I, I, the way I picture it is just quiet. You could hear the, the, the fire cracking. You could smell the fish grilling. But it was quiet. It was kind of like one of those moments, right, when you, 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 you do something wrong. And your mom says, wait till dad gets home. And you're sitting at dinner time, and he's not saying anything. And you just, everyone's just sitting there eating. <laughs> And there's this big elephant in the room. You're thinking, man, we let our Lord down, and he's making us breakfast. What is he going to do next, right? Is this the calm before the storm, right? That's what you're thinking as a child. Like, is this the calm before the storm? Verse 13 says, And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the, and the fish likewise. He was serving them. He's serving the men who would change the world someday. Right? This is the group that's supposed to change the world? This is the group that he's entrusted with this treasure of the gospel to spread out to the known world after our Lord ascends back into heaven? Is this that group? These are the pillars of the church? These are the foundation stones to establish the church from that point on? Well, Peter, the leader... Jesus came to restore. And, and here's what Peter's resume would have read like. Okay? If he was applying to be an intern at Evergreen, this is, what he would, this is what he would write down. He would write down Peter, formerly known as Simon, and he would have said, like, uh, I rebuke Jesus from time to time. I occasionally speak for Satan at times. I've attempted murder I lack courage in high-pressure situations, and I'm disloyal to Jesus at times. And I was, if I got something like that, I'd be like, nah, maybe you're cut out for a different type of work. I don't, he wouldn't even qualify to be an intern at our church, right? What is Jesus going to do with Peter and the disciples? Is he going to say, forget it, I'm going to start over? No. He already spent three years discipling these men. These were his guys. He's going to continue to disciple them. All they were is disobedient. He's, he's looking to restore. He's sending disciples. And he restores the group. And he starts with, the Peter, Peter, starts with Peter, the leader first. And how does he do it? Well, Peter's humble and broken. He's ready now to be, to be uh, restored. And Jesus breaks the silence here, right here, verse 15. This is a picture of how Jesus restores disciples. This is how we're called to restore sinning disciples. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus breaks the silence and says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. He does not call him Peter. That's one little jab there. And he's like digging into Peter like, okay, why didn't my Lord call me Peter? He's the, that's the name he gave me. Peter mean. Peter means rock. But Simon was acting nothing but anything else. He was acting like his old self now. That's why he calls him Simon. Hey, Simon. That's got to have caught 
Peter's attention. And here's round one of Peter's restoration. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus asks. Do you love me more than these? Jesus is applying biblical counseling, trying to get, G, uh, t- trying to get Peter back. What does Jesus mean by these? Are, is he talking about, do you love me more than these other disciples? No. That, that does no good for him, for Peter to compare himself with the other disciples. They were, they were disobedient as well. What does Jesus mean with, do you love me more than these? Who are, what are these? These fishing gear. These boats, you love me more than these nets, these weights, this know-how, this way of life. Do you love me more than these things that fishing gets to you? Do you love me more than the source of income? Do you love me more than than the source of purpose, the source of enjoyment, source of esteem? Do you love me more than these? Jesus is coming after Peter. Do you love me more than fishing and the identity it provides you with? Do you love me more than these? I remember just going back to my own life early on in my Christian walk, 1998. I think I came to faith then at the University of Southern California. And it was a crazy time for me. I just became a believer, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Perhaps that's some of you out there. And the next 11 years was crazy. I mean, professional rise was just like like a rocket ship. It was incredible. I was a nobody. And this thing, God just kept opening up opportunities and to grow professionally. And I had this thought in my mind, perhaps you guys think this too. I had this thought in my mind. If I do the right things, if I live right, I'll earn God's favor and he'll continue to allow me to grow. You got to understand, I'm Japanese-American. I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe I'll be the next head coach, first head coach in the pros or in college. I was thinking all these things. So if I just do right and, and do, you know, live right, God will bless it. And in 2010, my world came, my professional world came crashing down. They event, USC, they eventually let me go there. And then I, and I was thinking to myself, what did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong? Am I in sin? I'm thinking, am I, am I denying the Lord somehow? What's going on? Have you ever thought that before? When something bad happens, is God punishing me, right? And then we moved up to Washington, Seattle, and started coaching at the Seahawks. I was miserable. I was thinking, what did I do wrong, Lord? I thought I did it right. I thought if I just did it right, said the right things, did the right things, that you just kind of make my path smooth. And I realized something during that time. I realized this. Obedience was very important to me. But my obedience was tied into more of a transactional relationship with the Lord. Meaning, if I do this, you'll take care of what I really like, I love the most. Do you love me more than these? I didn't hear those words, but I felt that feeling. I was convicted. And I, I felt like I, I started, my eyes were opened up. Where I, my motivation was really tied into my success, professional success. Where I need to do what's right before the Lord so that he'll bless this. It was very transactional. And I think I was a genuine Christian. I really do. But this was really going on in my heart. 
And there was a switch that happened during those couple years in Seattle, that first couple years. I remember meeting with Pastor Kyle Shimazaki earlier, a couple years earlier. We'd become fast friends, and we'd meet up at the coffee bean in East L.A. and just spend time. And those of us who know Kyle would just say, you know, this would not surprise you. He'd just say, hey, man, it's about Jesus. <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's cool. We'd open up the Bible and... I'm always more looking at, okay, how can I be a good leader? How can I continue to advance in my career? But Kyle just said, it's about Jesus. And during that time in Seattle, I didn't have friends to hang out with. I was just listening to hours. I'm talking hours, maybe thousands of hours of sermons online. I just, as I was doing my work, my job was more kind of on my own. So I was watching a lot of film, generating reports and stuff like that. But I could listen to hours and hours of sermons. And then I started looking into the Bible instead of like, like forget all this stuff. This, all the work stuff will get taken away in that moment. I started digging into the scriptures. Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to know I'm trusting in the right God as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. So when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? He just screams to me, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than football? Do you love me more than the respect that comes from coaching? Do you love me more than the idea that you might be the first whatever in coaching football? These things are important to me. Do you love me more than the reputation that you have with church members and everybody else? Do you love me more than the human relationships that you think will posture you to help you to get to where you're at? So the Lord was adjusting my motivation. He was doing biblical counseling on me without me even knowing it. He was biblically counseling me. Do you love anything more than Christ? That's the essence of biblical counseling. Do you love anything more than Jesus? That's really where you want to get to in any counseling situation. As you restore any disciple who's sinning, you want to hear, 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 show empathy, show love, show love, cook them a breakfast like Jesus, but that's the, that's the destination point. Do you love something more than me? Do you love me enough to give it all up? These thoughts were coming to my mind. And so here, back to Peter, he goes after Peter. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you, I got power, love me. Do you love me with the highest, purest love of the will? Do you love me like that, Peter? <laughs> Look what Peter says. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know. Why did he say you know? Because Let's keep it real, Jesus. I've been exposed. I'm not going to claim that I love, Agapao, love you at the highest level of love. I don't love you like that. You know that. But you know I phileo love you. You know I have strong brotherly affection for you. It may not be perfect, but you know that I love you as a brother. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. In that sense, means feed my sheep, feed my lamb. Peter's job, a pastor's job, is to feed the sheep God's word. That is the primary function of a pastor, is to feed God's word to the people. And Jesus was saying, hey, you're still my guy. Feed my lambs. Round two, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you, I got power, love me. Do you love me like that? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, 
You know that I phileo love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Pastor my sheep. Pray, protect, lead, discipline, care for my sheep. And then round three, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this love, Jesus switches it up. This crushes Peter. This is what Jesus said. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you even phileo love me? Do you even love me like a brother? He switches up the word. Jesus does. Do you phileo love? Do you love me? Do you even have genuine brotherly affection for me, Peter? Can you actually claim that? Peter was grieved. He was crushed because he said to him the third time, do you even phileo love me? Why do you have to go there a third time? This is about restoration. Jesus is going to be thorough with Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus allows him three times to acknowledge these things. This is how it's done, brothers and sisters. If we do not acknowledge sin in our lives and the sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives, it will leave us ineffective. Jesus needed Peter to be effective so that the gospel would be spread so he could lead the disciples well. He didn't need a two-thirds restoration. He needed a full restoration for Peter. He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I at least flail love you. You know all things, please. It may not be obvious, Lord, and even these disciples may not be able to see, but you know in your heart of hearts, Lord, that I actually genuinely love you as a brother. I love you so much. Maybe not perfectly, but I have genuine love for you. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. In essence, he's telling Peter, you're still my guy. You're still my, you've always been my guy. I'm never going to give up on you. You're still my guy. I mean, isn't that what you want to know? When you're struggling in your faith, your, your confidence shook, when you know you've been in sin, isn't that what you want to know, that the Lord is going to say, you're still my guy, you're still my gal. I chose you before the foundations of the world. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm going to hold you forever. Peter must have been lifted up at this point. Wow. The burden, thousands of pounds of guilt and shame, just boom, lifted off. Peter. And this is what Jesus goes on to say, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What is Jesus talking about? Verse 19. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Basically, Jesus is telling Peter ahead of time, you're going to die a martyr. A martyr. 
And you may be thinking, why does Jesus have to tell him that at this point? You know, he's already restored him. Let's leave him at that high point. Why does Jesus have to tell him that? Is this, was this bad news for Peter? I don't think so. This was actually the greatest news that Peter could have heard. What do you mean, Pastor? Basically, Jesus is telling Peter, like, just like how he predicted Peter would deny him three times, Jesus is telling him, I know how you're going to end up, Peter. You're going to be faithful to the end. You will not deny me next time. You will be faithful to the very end. And at the, at the end of the day, that's all Peter wanted. Peter wanted to know, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. Peter, in his heart of hearts, genuinely wanted to please the Lord. This is Peter. Isn't that what you want to hear? Isn't that what you want to hear? That in the end, I will be faithful to Christ. You like to think that, you know, if it comes to a life and death situation or maybe I lose my job type of situation or imprisonment type of situation, I will be faithful to you, Lord. We like to think that. I like to think that. But you don't know until that moment actually happens. Until the rubber meets the road, we don't know. Peter thought he'd be faithful to the end before the denial. But Jesus is telling him, you know what, Peter, you're going to be faithful to the end. Completely restored. Peter was completely back now, back in full force. He's not feeling bad anymore. He's not feeling bad anymore. Look <laughs> at verse 20. From that intense drama, now we go to 20. There's some comedy here all of a sudden. <laughs> verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Who's that? All right, that's John, of course, right? The one who also leaned back on his bosom at the supper, the last supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? That's John. And in verse 21, look at Peter. Impulsive Peter. So Peter, seeing him, said to him, Lord, and what about this man? <laughs> is he going to die too? Is he going to die a martyr too? Oh, Peter. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Worry about yourself. Follow me. Follow me. And there was a rumor that went out that John was going to live till Jesus came back. But <laughs> in verse 23, what about him? How about that, Peter? Huh? So Peter was a work in progress. Just because he was restored in that moment, he was a work in progress. It was a constant thing. Just because we're restored from whatever we've been struggling with, it's a constant thing till the day we die. It's called sanctification. It's called sanctification. Verse 24 says this. I want to make sure I read all the verses at the end of John here. This is the disciple who testified, who was testifying to these things, that's John, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Look at all the eyewitness accounts. Look at all the... Uh, prophecy, look at all the, uh, the, the, the exact numbers, 153 fish. These are all meant to be there so that we would believe, yeah, this is legit what John is reporting about Jesus. 
And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself will not contain the books that will be written. John had to hold back as we talked about last week. Otherwise, this book would have been just filling up the whole world and we would lose the emphasis of what John wanted to have us know about Jesus. Now going back to uh, chapter 21, is, John, is chapter John 21 necessary? Could we just have ended it right there on chapter 20, verse 31? Bam! At the high point of John, the, go- the gospel of John. Could we have just ended it there? Is John 21 actually necessary? Absolutely it's necessary. Although we may kid with Peter sometime and say, hey, what? this is impulsive Peter, like I said. We're all Peters. We're all Peters. From time to time, we're going to be high point with Peter and we're going to experience some of the low points with Peter. We're all Peters. I know I could resonate with Peter. Why is John 21 so endearing to my heart? Because I totally identify with Peter. I totally see myself in him. I know you do too. And the idea is this, that no one loves Jesus as we should. Not one of us loves Jesus perfectly the way Jesus deserves to be loved. All of us are under construction. And when Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? What Jesus is asking is this. Search your heart now. When Jesus says, do you love me? Jesus doesn't doesn't require perfect love. Obviously, Peter's love, the disciples' love, they were not perfect in their love for the Lord. But he requires a genuine love. Do you genuinely love Jesus? That's the key. That's what he requires. Because a genuine love will move us to obedience. A genuine love for Christ moves us to sanctification. We become more like Jesus. Back then, my testimony I shared with you earlier, my motivation was mixed in with a lot of stuff. And it still is. A lot of it I could see. You know what? I love what you could give me, Jesus. It's a constant repentance, constant acknowledgement. When the Spirit of God convicts your heart, you just simply repent. Simply repent. Jesus is coming to you through his Spirit, not with whips, okay? He's coming to you with breakfast and graciously say, hey, just let that go, will you? You're still my guy. You're still my gal. You always be mine, Right? This is not a transactional thing where if you do good, I'm happy with you. If I do bad, if you do bad, then I have nothing to do with you. This is not that. If you're truly in the faith, if you genuinely love Christ, this is how you could deal with the Lord. Because it's a love relationship. But a genuine love relationship needs to be there. If you could resonate with me on some of these things, perhaps you think these things back then or even now. Maybe you think it's kind of a transactional thing. Perhaps it's, it's kind of a more reputation thing. I need to act a certain way so I could fit in at Evergreen SGV. 
Perhaps like you are the first one in your family to achieve certain things and you feel the pressure of this professionally. Perhaps it's, it's, it's marriage and, and family and this is the thing, the high points of our lives. And I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as you keep blessing me in this area. Perhaps we need to reorder our priorities. Christ is, the, is at the top and everything else is underneath it. If that's you, simply repent. Simply repent. Love is the motivation. This love for Christ is at the essence of what Christianity is about. So as I'm sitting there at this chapel and wondering, okay, all these things, budgets and all sorts of things, counseling situations and this and that, how do we set up this ministry? I was like, wow, my head is spinning. That preacher, as he preached through John 21, reminded me, love for Christ, this is what it's about. Forget everything else. Are we helping the people to love Christ? That's it. Simple. People want to know what's our direction of our church. Let's love Christ more. Let's help one another love Christ more. That's called discipleship. Simple. Use your gifts. Use your relationship. Who's in your life? Speak into their lives. Be a Jesus to them. Speak truth and love to them. Make breakfast for them. Engage in relationship. Have dinner together. Not just to hang out, but so simply we could be known so we could help each other stay faithful. That's what this is about. Simple. It's not simplistic, it's simple. It's very basic. This is what this is about. So I'm thinking, I'm taking his notes down, like, wow, this is clarifying. Thank you, Lord. And I knew this is what it was about, but you, when you're caught up in this moment, you could, your head could start spinning. You could forget what this whole thing is about. And as I was just pastoring this church along with the other brothers on, on the pastoral team, I think it's been clear, right, brothers and sisters, our Lord is doing something through this 2020 year without a doubt. Amen? God is clarifying things for all of us, me included. And what is the most important thing? This is what he's clarifying. He's removing all the weeds. What is the pinnacle? What is the high point of what we're all about? It's about loving Jesus and helping people have a genuine love for Christ. This is what this is about. I hope this has been helpful. You know, for me, I couldn't ask for a better way to start a preaching career by just going through John. Just staring at Jesus' face through the pages of John week after week, hours, 10, 15 hours a week, just looking at John, looking at the face of Christ through John. I love it. This is exactly where I needed to be at. Why? Not simply just to preach, but this was sanctifying me as I was staring at the face of Christ through the pages of Scripture like, wow, Jesus, this is it. You're it. So what a glorious three-year journey this has been. And I'm kind of sad that we're ending, John. I really am. John's become a good old friend to me, a companion to me. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm kind of sad about that. But God has other books here. He, he has some other things in store for us. But let's just remember, as we look at the book here, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, what are we learning about Jesus? 
This is what it's about. What are we learning about Jesus? My Christ, I want to know you better. And if you have a genuine faith in him, you'll love him more. You will. This is where we're headed, brothers and sisters. We're headed towards discipleship. This is what Evergreen SGV is called to be about to by the head of the church, Jesus himself. He said we're called to be about discipleship. We're here to help one another grow in our love for Christ. This is it. Simple, not simplistic, but this is what it is. I can handle that. With all the things going around around me and around your lives, I think you can handle that idea too. No matter how old you are, you can handle this. It's about loving Jesus. Do you love me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for the book of John. What a glorious book. Thank you for leading our pastoral staff to start John when we did in 2016. I thank you that this is the book that was uh, chosen. I thank you that you allowed me to just stare at the pages of John for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Fall deeper in love with you, Lord. Gain a greater confidence in you, Lord, because I see you more clearly. Lord Jesus, I pray you will be gracious to Evergreen SGV, Lord, that you would allow us to stir this 2020 season well by having more clarity of vision. Allow us to see you more clearly. Allow us to make decisions as we come out of this season prioritizing you, Lord. Allow us to shape our attitudes revolving around our love for you, Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for John 21. I thank you that you, you had John write John 21 for us, for all of us Peters. So, Lord, I thank you. I pray, Lord, that the people are encouraged how you deal with us. You don't deal with us with whips. You deal with us with breakfast. Your word says, for the love of Christ controls us. Lord, I pray that we will know your love more so that we would love you more. Thank you, Lord. Bless the people here with a greater knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.